Now, the WBBM Noon Business Hour. It's 12.03 on Tuesday afternoon, October 4th. Good afternoon. Thanks for joining us on the Noon Business Hour, presented by the Village of Bedford Park. I'm Rob Hart. It can be a challenge to find the balance between spending and retirement and retaining some savings. We'll cover that in our next segment. But right now, reports on factory orders and job openings lead today's data. Let's break it all down with the help of Bob Brusca, Chief Economist, Fact and Opinion Economics, based in New New York. Bob, thanks for joining us today. Let's talk about the uh, job openings plunging by more than 1.1 million in August. At first blush, that sounds like a sign that the labor market is about to take a turn for the worse. But the fact is, a lot of those jobs had been open for a while. They have gone unfilled. And it sounds like uh, the rhetoric is now meeting the reality. Yeah, you know, it's always hard to know what to make of the jolts data because uh, there have been so many more job openings than there have been people unemployed. And um, and despite that, although we know that wages have been going up a little bit more rapidly, wages still have been lagging the increase in the inflation rate. So real wages have continued to fall. There's been a tremendous uh, focus on how wages have risen and how minimum wages have gone up. But the fact of the matter is that adjusted for inflation, the wages have not gone up. And that makes the labor market look less than tight, despite all of these statistics. And at the same time, uh, people are still uh, quitting their jobs voluntarily to seek uh, greener pastures. Uh, quits up by 100,000 on the month to 4.16 million. Yeah, the quits are a sign of a tight labor market. I mean, when you see quits going up, you realize, and at a high level, you realize that the workers feel confident. They feel like they can quit, they can get another job. And so to me, that's a much better uh, metric of how tight the labor market is and how much that the balance of power may have shifted to the worker. Uh, even so, uh, people haven't been able to quit jobs enough to really cause real wages to rise. I'm sure the people who are quitting are doing better, and they may be keeping up or getting ahead of inflation. But overall, you know, the macro situation is that wages continue to lag the inflation rate. Orders for manufactured goods flat in August. If you are the Federal Reserve and you are looking at uh, the number of job openings uh, plummeting by a million, the uh, manufacturing sector uh, cooling off, uh, what do you do? Uh, what do those numbers? What does that? What does that point to when trying to uh, track the uh, the trajectory of inflation? Yeah, well, the Fed obviously looks at these statistics, and you know the factory orders data are somewhat volatile, and we need to remember they're not inflation adjusted, so. When you look at the changes, you've got to realize that there's substantial inflation in there. And adjusted for inflation, the numbers aren't half as good as what they appear to be. If you look at the sequential growth rates, you can see a good deal of slowing down in orders and the shipments across uh, a lot of industries. So I think you're starting to see some irregularities in the factory data. And when you're uh, trying to uh, to plot a course of uh, future interest rate hikes, uh, is this a sign that the, uh, the large hikes that were put into place earlier this year are starting to have an effect and that maybe, maybe you don't overdo it next time around and do a 50 basis point hike or a quarter of a point? Well, you know, that, 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 that's an echo that's out there. But the fact of the matter is we've seen weaker industrial data from the PMIs. We see some slowing in the factory orders data. 
but the, the problem is the job data. You know, jobless claims data have been falling, uh, indicating, uh, despite what the jolts report says, that the job market is still tight. And we had uh, a tremendous amount of jobs created in the employment report last month. So this month's employment report becomes very important. The question is, if jobs are still growing at a rapid rate and the Fed needs to slow the economy and slow inflation, it may feel that it still needs to do those accelerated rate hikes. Bob Bruska, Chief Economist, Facted Opinion Economics, based in New York. Thanks for joining us today. Coming up, deciding how much to spend in retirement. An economy of words. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. It can be a tricky transition from spending money from your paycheck to spending the money you've set aside for retirement. Let's get some direction from Tony Orgoric, founder of Orgoric Wealth Management, based in Buffalo. Tony, thanks for joining us today. When you make the decision to retire and you finally get the gold watch and the party and you throw away your alarm clock and you wake up on that first morning after you call it quits, How hard is it to transition from working every day to saving every day to not having a busy schedule and drawing down what you've been saving your entire life? Well, Rob, I think you raised some valid points. And I think the the interesting thing is that, uh, you know, people have a financial plan, but I think you also need a plan for your time. And, you know, during people's working lifetimes, you know, they've had a purpose and it's often been their job, their profession, whatever it may be, it's their social circle. Now, when that's gone, they have got to pre-plan before they leave. And this may be one, two, three, four years ahead of time. Uh, what am I going to be doing with my time? How, I, how am I going to be maintaining a purpose in my life? And, you know, one other point is they've been saving. Nobody blows a whistle and says, it's okay, this is what you were saving for. And I think they need to prioritize that also rather than just continue to be really parsimonious and, and keep running up a, a number in their bank account. But these the, these anxieties do make a, a great deal of sense because you look at market performance, especially in a year like 2022, where it's very volatile, and then you wonder sure. if, if the value of your retirement account uh, is, is still there or if it's going down, if you have to already begin planning for a rainy day. And then you also hear these stories about how life expectancy continues to go up and that uh, people who used to pass away at 70 are now doing so in their 80s or 90s, and if you're starting to save now and you're like in your 30s or 40s, uh, you know, you could retire at 70 and then live for another 70 years. So how do you talk somebody down? Well, I think the important thing is, uh, you know, that undergirds all of this is your health, right? I mean, you could be around for years and years, but if you haven't got a, uh, you know, you haven't got your health, you haven't got a quality of life, all the money in the world isn't going to make a difference because you're not going to be able to spend it. So I think people need to look at that time that they're retired and say, look, maybe for the next five years or 10 years, hopefully we're going to have good health, and that's when we're going to want to front load some of our spending while we can still do things. And then, you know, as time goes on and as they become a little bit closer to home, obviously their spending is going to be cutting down, but at least they've been able to create those memories which will help sustain them, you know, because they have the ability to spend while they have their health. And then, Tony, as a financial advisor, is uh, this the part of the job where uh, you have to be both uh, adept at numbers and psychology? Very much so, you know, because people think we all think we're going to live forever. And uh, as people, as their friends begin to drop off or have things happen to them, they realize they're not going to be around forever. And how do I make the most of the time that I've got? 
unfortunately, all they see on TV are ads saying, you know, how do you make the most of your money? But really, they should be focusing on how do I make the most of the time that I've got available? If they can do that, that's probably how they're going to derive the greatest enjoyment out of the funds that they actually do have. And then very quickly, uh, if you had to uh, counsel somebody on how to uh, spend their time, maybe the first five years after retirement, the first 10, um, where you can do all of that stuff and make all those memories and just make sure there's a lot left over for uh, when you're physically unable to do that. How do you parcel that out? How do you parcel it out? Well, we have a series of exercises that we, you know, that we take people through. It's a, it's a self-discovery process where they can find out uh, for either a husband or wife, what their joint interests are, what their separate interests are. Uh, they don't have to be joined at the hip. They can do various other things. One other important thing is as you age, it's really critical that you continue to expand your social circle because we know that friends uh, and, and social connections are really an important component uh, to your mental and physical health as you age. Tony Agoric, founder of Orgoric Wealth Management in Buffalo, New York. Thanks for joining us this afternoon. Coming up next, there's an update today on the proposed purchase of Twitter by Elon Musk. Conversation that's on the money. You're listening to the WBBM Noon Business Hour. Trading has been halted on Twitter after Bloomberg reported that Elon Musk plans to go through with his acquisition at $54.20 a share. Let's get the latest from Gary Kultbaum, president of Kultbaum Capital Management based in Orlando, Florida. Find him online, GaryK.com. Gary, thanks for joining us today. Any particular reason why uh, Elon Musk said let's stop the fussing and the feuding and get this uh, deal done? Well, I haven't haven't spoke to Elon in, a, in quite a while, so really don't know. <laughs> and may I state for the record, as of yesterday, there was an ex-employee of Twitter that came out that said Twitter's numbers are not real and should be investigated. I'm thinking to myself, this deal is never getting done. And the next day, boom, and it's being reported now that this deal will probably close by Friday. Uh, that he's accepting the highest price, which is 54 and change, which uh, I own only one word, and that's stunning. Uh, if I had made a bet and I did not, I would have bet the other way. But uh, we're dealing with Elon Musk, and, uh, you know, uh, when you think north, you go south, and when you think south, you go north. Is this also a reflection that possibly even with the uh, testimony from whistleblowers and the uh, the idea that uh, so some of the uh, accounts and engagement uh, uh, may not be what uh, they were presented as, that even with all of that, uh, he may not have been able to prevail in federal court? I'm going to suggest you're on the right track. You know, uh, money speaks, dollars speak, and he's been a pretty smart guy when it comes to money and dollars. And I don't say that because of how much he has, but how he got there. And it should be obvious that something came up somewhere, somehow, at a certain size that said, uh, you're better off getting this deal done, moving on, because it's going to be a long slog and you and you probably lose. And thus, uh, we're here where we're here. And surprise, surprise. So now he, if, you know, by Friday, he'll have the keys to this uh, social media application that certainly punches above its weight when it comes to the uh, 
influential nature of Twitter users. It's a lot of politicians and it's a lot of media types. So it's people who definitely uh, have a, a loud megaphones to begin with, but certainly punches below its weight when stacked up against the other social media competitors. So what is he going to do with this business to actually monetize the, uh, the audience that Twitter has? Uh, you know, the only thing, I mean, advertising in some way, shape or form uh, with so many people on there. But how you do that, uh, I, I really don't know that, you know, they have a few things going on. It's a tough call. I suspect uh, Trump's going to get back on there soon. I suspect some of the worry about how Twitter is very picky about who's on and who's off and who gets kicked on and who off. I think that'll be open more to the point where, hey, uh, we're not going to monitor as much. So I think there will be changes afoot to, to what extent I don't know. And I think uh, Mr. Musk should be careful what he wishes for. Uh, because this is a tricky road. It is not electric vehicles, I can promise you that. Right. I mean, you hear talking about electric cars and going to Mars, and now he gets to be the world's biggest content moderator. Uh, <laughs> they may, it may and, not, it's not nearly as exciting as space. Yeah, and, and let me say this. Tesla stock is down $14 from today's high off this news. There's always going to be worry. Is he cutting himself too thin? Uh, now, whether Tesla stock stays down is another story, but here's just another uh, company that he's managing. Uh, he would be managing uh, unless he brings somebody in who's a genius. Uh, but we're talking some big businesses. Uh, SpaceX has been lifting off also, and uh, the valuation is gargantuan. So um, we'll see how many hands he's got and whether he's going to be capable. So far, he has. And uh, again, Jerry will be out as we move forward. But so far, he's been a pretty successful guy. Gary Kulpbaum, president of Kulpbaum Capital Management based in Orlando. Thanks for joining us today. Find him online at GaryK.com. Still ahead in Travel Tuesday, a look at top Midwest destinations for fall trips. This is Chicago's News Traffic and Weather Station, News Radio 1059. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Good afternoon. I'm Rob Hart. These are the top stories on News Radio WBBM. Loretta Lynn, who went from rural housewife to country music star, has died. A suburban woman accused of pushing her three year old nephew into Lake Michigan is now charged with murder. In Travel Tuesday, we take a look around the Midwest to find some of the best places to visit this fall, and it's shaping up to be the biggest Halloween for retailers in several years. WBBM Business. The markets are higher. The Dow is up 655 points. The Nasdaq is up 280. The S&P 500 is up 89. AccuWeather says sunshine, some clouds, and nice today. High of 73. We have 68 degrees right now under mostly sunny skies. At 1231, topping our news at the half hour, country music legend Loretta Lynn has died at the age of 90. CBS News correspondent Cami McCormick looks back at the star entertainer's career. Lynn was one of the most well-known female country singers. She started out in the early 60s and had more than 70 hits. But it was her autobiography and later a movie about growing up in poverty that sealed her fate as a country music icon. Well, I was born to call daughter. I'm about as old-fashioned as I can be. And I hope you're liking what you see. Because if you're looking at me, 
Tammy McCormick, CBS News. Charges have been upgraded against a woman accused of pushing her three-year-old nephew into Lake Michigan near Navy Pier late last month. 34-year-old Victoria Moreno of Desplaines is now charged with first-degree murder. Cook County prosecutors say she threw Josiah Brown into the water and then watched as he sank. The boy was eventually recovered by divers but then died about a week later. It's 12.32 as the noon business hour continues, presented by the Village of Bedford Park. Markets are higher. We're joined once again by Jim Welsh, macro strategist and portfolio manager at Smart Portfolios based in San Diego. Jim, thanks for joining us once again. Uh, Based on intraday trading, does this rally show any signs of slowing down between now and the close? No, it's very strong. Breath is very positive. And uh, you have this element of a fear of missing out. You know, people are very worried that somehow the Fed is going to uh, pivot and begin to back off on raising interest rates. And if that happens, gee, the market's going to the moon. And so uh, there's that sentiment, uh, Rob, that people just don't want to miss out. And therefore, I think the market's going to probably hold it together going into the close. Which means uh, if you do have uh, a Federal Reserve governor or somebody high up in the system uh, saying that, uh, oh, no, we're not going to back off on this uh, pace of interest rate hikes uh, anytime soon or until we see some sign of inflation turning, that means all of these gains could be uh, given back. Well, you bring up a great point, Rob, because this year has been kind of a Uh, you know, a a consistent theme where Wall Street has tried to front run the Fed in anticipating that they won't raise rates aggressively. uh, And of course, those thoughts have not proven to be very true. I think the same thing's going on here, that we're seeing a big short covering rally. uh, But I believe the Fed is going to drive home the message that they plan to raise rates a bit more. And then more importantly, and this is, I think, the, the point that the market has complete, conveniently overlooked. They want to hold rates at a high level throughout most of next year, which means slower economic growth, slower earnings growth. Uh, and that's, I think, a shoe that will drop at some point in time in coming months. Now, to make the markets happy, uh, obviously they would love a a rate cut, but if they said, look, we're going to maintain just, we're going to stay where we're at, or potentially uh, raise rates by a quarter point or half a point as opposed to three quarters of a point, uh, is is that still music to Wall Street's ears? Yeah, it would be in the short run. Uh, Again, I think there's uh, two things going on here, additional rate hikes, and I think the Fed funds rate will peak between 375 and four and a quarter. So I don't think the Fed is going to go as far as they indicated with the dot plots. But again, the primary message is they want to restrict, uh, you know, um, have monetary policy at a restrictive level so that growth slows over a period of many months. So they're not looking for a quick fix. They repeatedly have said, Rob, they want to avoid the 1970s where they would jam on the brakes, cause a recession, and then have to pivot and begin to cut rates. The Fed wants to avoid that, and I think that means they're going to raise rates to about 4% and then hold them there. That's their plan for most of next year. And that will bring economic growth down. And I know I sound like a broken record. And of course, uh, this is very generational. No, Very few people don't know what a broken record is these days. But I've, <laughs> I've said this over and over again. Uh, 3.5% or 4% historically uh, compared to the 90s or compared to 2007 is still relatively low as far as interest rates go. And yet it's just panic time. 
Yeah, the one difference is that the amount of debt, so debt to GDP back in 1982 for the U.S. was around 60 cents for every dollar of debt. We're now pushing a dollar thirty. So as rates go up, it has a bigger drag on economic growth because of the interest expense based on all that debt. So that's part of the reason why the Fed hasn't been able to raise rates as aggressively as it did. In, and it, there was no need to either. Inflation hung around 2% for most of the last 20 years. So, I, again, I think the Fed's going a little bit more, and then they're going to keep it at a high level for most of next year. And then looking at some of the numbers that came out today very quickly, uh, especially when it came to the number of job openings, uh, dropping by a million over yep. the past month with the uh, openings probably reflecting the reality of the job market these days. Uh, is that a hopeful sign or an ominous portent about the job market? Well, it's both potentially. Uh, from the Fed's point of view, it's a hopeful sign. They would like to see job openings probably down around 7 million. That was the peak in 2018. Uh, it's a portent maybe for a weaker employment uh, growth in coming months and that unemployment will rise. The Fed says 4.4 next year. I think it's more likely to get closer to 5. So it's both. Jim Welsh, macro strategist and portfolio manager at Smart Portfolios based in San Diego. The website, macrotides.com. Thank you for joining us this afternoon. Coming up next in Travel Tuesday, destination suggestions for fall in the Midwest. A deposit for your future. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. It's Travel Tuesday, fall definitely in the air on this beautiful day. Let's talk about the top spots in the Midwest to enjoy the season with is Cindy Richards, editor-in-chief, TravelingMom.com, based in Chicago. Cindy, thanks for joining us today. Uh, family with three girls, and we have two fall traditions. One Saturday or Sunday, we have to pick apples, and then uh, a couple of weeks down the road, we have to go get some pumpkins, uh, despite our best efforts to grow them at home. Sometimes you get a lot, sometimes the squirrels eat them, so you have to go out and uh, go to a pumpkin patch uh, somewhere not too far away from the city of Chicago. Uh, let's talk about two uh, levels of of, of fall adventures. I mean, one, apple picking and pumpkins, and then uh, maybe a, a long weekend uh, to go check out some fall colors. So uh, what are your recommendations for uh, 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 pumpkins and, and, and apples uh, this time of year? Well, you know, we're really lucky where we live because it's not too far outside of the city and you can find a lot of options for picking apples, a lot of options for picking pumpkins. But, you know, once in a while you get one that's really quite over the top. And I think uh, Gobert's pumpkin, pa pumpkin patch in Pingree Grove, try and say all Been that there. fast. Is I, there you go. Yeah. So did you ride the pumpkin train? And oh yes, of course. Slide you have to. You get you get your you go down the pumpkin slide. You ride the pumpkin train. You get the pumpkin donuts. You get the cider, and uh, yeah, you, you you get everything. All, all the accoutrement along with uh, going out in the field and picking a pumpkin. Absolutely. And you know, the, the thing about um, the fall, right, is, is how unpredictable it is for when the colors are going to be at their peak. And we always want to go there when they're at their peak because it's really disappointing to plan the weekend and then you get there and all the leaves have already fallen off. And especially with our unpredictable weather of late, it's hard to know. You know, just because it was the second week in October last year doesn't mean it will be this year. So what I always recommend to people is you want to Google it, honestly, um, Google fall foliage, and you can find maps by state. The the states actually 
take um, information from locals and put together a map of where the um, colors are already changing and with predictions of where they're going to change in the future. And there's a national map. I looked at it this morning and, you know, parts of northern Wisconsin, northern Michigan are already in full color. So you can plan your your trip accordingly. And also, I mean, it's it's too late now to to have this word to the wise, but uh, maybe for for fall of 2023, there are some events that already fill up like during the summer. So you should start thinking about fall adventures maybe in in July or August, which is kind of counterintuitive. But you got to stay ahead of everybody else having the same idea. Um, well, it depends on what you want to do. I mean, if you really want to, you know, have have a big adventure, but it's always free and it's always available to get in the car and take a drive. You don't have to um, actually go to an event, although it's always fun. And, you know, who doesn't love a dinosaur uh, that eats pumpkins? But, you you know, we you can just drive to a forest preserve. You can drive to the Botanic Gardens. You can go to the Morton Arboretum. It's really easy to do it close. My favorite, my absolute favorite thing to do in the fall does require reservations, and that's to drive up north in Michigan, take um, the Tunnel of Trees, which is M119 north of Petoskey. It runs for about 20 miles, and literally the trees have grown over the road, and in the fall, the colors, it is it is quite magical to take that drive. And then if if you really are motivated, you can just keep on going, get on the ferry and head over to Mackinac Island and, and splurge on a night or two at the Grand Hotel. And uh, Tunnel of Trees is uh, one of Bruce Springsteen's uh, lesser known songs, uh, by the way. But you didn't know that. Um, but going, not. <laughs> going through Michigan and uh, Wisconsin, uh, are, are there any... Um, uh, on the Wisconsin side of things, I mean, you know, there's the elegant farmer for picking uh, picking uh, pump uh, picking apples at uh, in the world's in, best apple pie. Yes, the pie in the bag, and if you want to make an adventure out yeah. of it, uh, go to the uh, rail the electric railroad museum in East Troy, and then uh, take an old time uh, trolley car uh, to the elegant farmer, and then uh, your car is waiting for you at the end. I have not done that. I'm going to give it a try. Well, now, now I've taught you something. So this is uh, this is a, a very uh, beneficial exchange for the both of us. Cindy Richards, editor in chief of the TravelingMom.com, based in Chicago. Thanks for joining us today. Join us at this time tomorrow for Personal Finance Wednesday, and still to come, retailers look to cash in on Halloween. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. It's shaping up to be a huge Halloween for stores following a pandemic slowdown. Let's get the forecast from Jennifer Waters, Chicago-based business writer. Jennifer, thanks for joining us today. After two years of uh, pandemic restrictions or maybe some hesitation, it sounds like uh, this is going to be an old-time Halloween uh, coming up at the end of this month. And by old-time, we mean 2019. Yeah, exactly, Rob. It's, uh, and as they uh, they say, retailers won't be ghosted by consumers this Halloween. Mm-hmm. Nor will we have to have a little shoots where... I never did this, but other people did this where they put the candy down the chutes to the kids during COVID. I just left a bag of candy out and let them take whatever they wanted. But, um, yeah, this year we're talking about record spending of $10.6 billion, uh, $3 billion of that in candy alone, and a big, big chunk of that also in, in costumes. One of the things, um, the, uh, the and this comes from the National Retail Federation, and one of the things that they found when they were surveying people is that um, (laughs) some $710 million is expected to be spent on pet costumes this year. So I don't know if you take your pet out 
if you have a pet, you take your pet out uh, trick-or-treating. I have never done that, and I don't imagine that I ever will. But um, that's what, what a lot of the spending is coming from. You know, a Jennifer, this- one thing I've learned in life is that uh, there are points earlier on when I wasn't married or didn't have kids and had thoughts about certain trends, and then I got <laughs> married, and then I got ki- I had kids. I didn't. I, I had children and uh, started doing those things I used to decry. So uh, I don't have a dog or a cat yet. But uh, I would imagine uh, in the future there will be a dog or cat costume. You you can you can see that I can see that I can't even imagine getting my dog to put a costume on. I mean, or me getting it on him. But there, you know, this is a record high uh, spending for pet pet costume spending. Of course, I'm I know you're dying to find out that the number one. Uh, dog costume or pet costume is a hot dog. I was going to say that you know the 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 the, <laughs> the dog descendant from the mighty wolf. Uh, now you're putting on a, a condiment costume, and uh, they're <laughs> and just imagining they're having a good time. Yeah, that's it. But we're also looking at one in five consumers plan to dress up their pets. Or, I'm sorry, one in five plan to dress up their pets. We're looking at, at um, costume spending this year to be in like uh, $10 billion, or no, $2 billion, which is, that's a big chunk of change for costumes. And people are good. They're planning on going to parties. They're planning on having parties. People are going to be going out to bars and dressing up again, which, of course, we didn't see much of in the last couple of years. And so um, we're really looking at this being a very robust holiday recession or not. People have already started storing up on candy. I'm not among those people yet, but um, because I would eat it all before people would come. But, you know, people are already getting ready for it. And you can see decorations all going up, a lot of spending going on for decorations as well. And um, obviously costumes are going to be for the younger set. They're looking to platforms like Instagram and TikTok for costume inspiration this year. So I imagine when you've got people knocking on your door, you're going to see some interesting stuff. Well, I've already been look, scouring Pinterest for uh, ideas for uh, our family costume for this year. Uh, if you have a line on somebody who can uh, help me dress up as a cocoon, um, uh, that would be a, a big help uh, because the girls are going dressed as butterflies and, uh, you know, you have to complete the entire life cycle. Uh, so I'll be part of that uh, 10-some-odd billion-dollar uh, costume market before too long. Jennifer Waters, Chicago. Chicago-based business writer, thanks for joining us, talking about the uh, Halloween business, which is going to be robust this year. If you missed any part of today's noon business hour, we'll have the replay podcast available shortly at WBBMNewsRadio.com and the Odyssey app.